Thank you for tuning in to Wove Inspiration Podcast with host Althea Richardson. Wove stands for Women of Vision and Excellence, and the mission is to inspire, encourage, and uplift women and the men who love them to becoming all they were predestined to be. And it starts with restoration. Jenny Fu is a human trafficking survivor, global educator, nonprofit founder, organizational development consultant, and author. With more than 25 years of experience in the field of human trafficking, Jenny Sue knows the depths of trauma a body can endure. Jenny Sue is also the founder and CEO of Compass 31, an international non-governmental organization that provides a holistic model of restoration for survivors of exploitation. Jenny Sue, it is a blessing to have you on Wove Inspiration. Thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to be here with you, Althea, and your friends. <laughs> Thank you. So, Jenny Sue, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Yes. So, gosh, you summarized it really well. I'm Jenny Sue Jessen. I'm a survivor of human trafficking an inspirer and a creator. I do that through my nonprofit where we have restoration projects uh, currently operating in, in Thailand, Bangladesh, and the Middle East. And then we're expanding in other countries this year. And I fund that work in large part through donations from friends and family and churches but also through a new social enterprise, which is Echoes of the Eden Collective, uh, a vegan, eco-friendly skincare line. And so all of these things work together. Really, my heart and my passion is to empower women to know their value and their worth, to feel safe and beautiful in their own skin, and to move forward in lives of purpose and impact. So reading your bio, also, you being a human trafficking survivor, you were sold into the sex trade at the age of four by your grandfather. Can you share some information about that experience and that? How did that even happen? Yes, ma'am, I I can share. And I'll just disclose a, a trigger warning at the beginning, although I will keep it you know, PG-13. But for those in your audience that have experienced violence or sexual violence, that may be complicated. So my grandfather initially spoiled me rotten. And spoiling me rotten apparently was part of what we now know is the grooming process. Mm -hmm. And my exploitation really started at the age of four, when he took me to work with him one day and he worked at a train station and all day long, I was doted on by these men that he worked with. And specifically one man in particular, uh, a guy that's job, it was to move train cars from one end of the train yard to the other, kind of like a giant number slidey puzzle. And I got to sit on his lap and quote unquote, drive the trains and blow the whistle and eat candy. And it was a day full of magic, 
and delight. Until late afternoon, I thought it was time to go home. I left with my grandfather, but instead of returning to my grandparents' house, we met that engineer in an open field. And he and my grandfather completed their business transaction, and then he came to take what he had paid for. And in a matter of moments, my world turned upside down and inside out. I had no frame of reference for the what I had just endured. Mm-hmm. And after the unthinkable had happened, my grandfather wrapped me in a blanket and put me in the backseat of a car and started the trek home. And he had a... Besides his perverse love for little girls, he had a love for old gospel music. So he put a cassette tape in the car playing the song, How Great Thou Art. Wow. And over the years of my exploitation, it became his habit that either during the assault or immediately thereafter, he would play that song, specifically that one, on repeat. And in my body, it is still really intrinsically linked in my memory bank. Anytime I hear that song, it's tied to the trauma. And I have a very strong physical reaction. And if you or anyone in your audience participates in churches, you know, even in modern contemporary churches, that is a favorite hymn. I regularly am confronted by it, and my body regularly reacts. But that first day driving home, it was late afternoon, early evening, and the sun was setting, and the sky, Althea, was just on fire with color, red and purple and orange and blue. And I've still to this day never seen a sunset like it. Midwestern sunsets are just distinct. And as I was in the backseat of that car, listening to How Great Thou Art, I have this very real sense of Jesus being in the backseat of the car with me, mm-hmm. holding me on his lap. And he wasn't bothered by the snot or the tears or the blood or the mess or the trauma or the violence. Instead, he just held me and whispered in my ear, I've got you, baby. I'm big enough for this and I'm not going to let you go. And he didn't. Uh, By kindergarten, I was praying every night that God would just let me die. Please, please, please. I begged, I pleaded. I would do anything. I would be good. I would be quiet. I wouldn't eat much. But please, God, don't make me wake up again. In first grade, I had first signs and symptoms of sexually transmitted disease. In second grade, on a Sunday morning, I sat on a wooden pew swinging my feet behind the man who paid to rape me the night before. And it was just impossible to reconcile how my grandfather, often the good guy, taking me to see the cows or buying me chocolate ice cream, was also this perpetrator of profound 
violence. The exploitation continued for 13 years. At the age of 15, I had become pregnant and my grandfather, rather than risk being found out for his crimes, actually perpetrated the greatest act of violence against me by having me strapped down to a table and forcibly performing an abortion. Um, the, that actually protected him for another two years, compounding my trauma so that he continued to profit from my commercialized rape until at the age of 17, after the, a failed suicide attempt, I found out I was pregnant again. And God used that pregnancy to awaken in me this mama bear instinct and to give me a voice. So I was finally had the courage to disclose my exploitation to a counselor and she helped facilitate my escape. Wow. 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 Um, so that's, that's a summary <laughs> a brief summary and how, how well can you summarize 13 years of trauma in a few minutes? But, but that's an overview of, of what I endured as a child and how Jesus showed up and called me in and through it. My God, that, that's a lot. That, that's a whole lot. Um, I'm, glad a whole you, lot. <laughs> I'm glad that you put the disclaimer ahead of time because yeah, I don't, I would, I don't want someone to uh, start triggering from the experience. Um, right. My goodness. I guess my question, one of my questions is, where were your parents um, during this time that all of this was taking place? Yeah, that is a fabulous question. And my parents did the best they could. I absolutely believe them. And and this is one of the first questions people ask. My dad was an alcoholic and my mom was addicted to my dad. And so there was often a lot of chaos in our household. And I sincerely believe that they, thinking they were doing what was best for me, would often and regularly sent me to my grandparents' house who lived three hours away. And so then my grandfather, my primary perpetrator, had unlimited access when I was at their house to use and abuse and exploit me for his, his profit. Wow. Um, but again, it was, my dad was this, amazing, empathetic, compassionate guy that that struggled with addiction. And my mom struggled caring for him. And, and I think they were doing the best that they could. And so when I share my story, I generally share it without them present, sure. because in, in fact, they often weren't present. Okay. Um, and that's my, my best way to honor their part or their absence in my story. Sure, sure. And so did they know or find out later on what had happened to you? Yes. Um, at the age of nine, there was an event that was 
particularly traumatic, and we don't need to go into the details of that. But it put me in a clinically catatonic state for several days. And my mom had called to talk to me on the phone while I was in that state, and I didn't respond. So she came and picked me up and brought me home, and she was obviously concerned by my state of being. And so she took me next door to our neighbor who was a pediatrician and a good guy. I knew him as Grandpa Dennis. And he evaluated me in his kitchen at his kitchen table and had a discussion with my mom and said, I don't know, but if she doesn't snap out of it in a few days, we'll put her in the hospital. And so my mom took me home and had several discussions in varying degrees of loudness with my dad um, about what happened. And they decided they didn't know what happened, but that I couldn't ever go back. And they didn't ask me what happened. And in all fairness, if they had at nine years old, there's no way I would have disclosed. I believed and had evidence that my grandfather had the power of life and death. So there's no way I would have disclosed. But when they decided that I couldn't ever go back, I snapped out of it. Later that same summer, within a few weeks of that, actually, my dad quit drinking and, and entered into recovery. That was a good and a glorious thing. But my parents felt like they needed to start over and move away from where much of the addiction had carried out. Mm -hmm. So they moved just down the road from my grandparents. Um, And that, that put the abuse in a different context. No longer did my grandfather have this long and unlimited um, contact with me where terrible things could happen and I would have time to recover before returning home. But now he had immediate access. And um, so my abuse continued until again, I was 17. And then after I disclosed to a counselor, she actually helped facilitate me telling my parents and my parents immediately wept and acknowledged and oh that's it that makes so much sense they recalled the event when I was nine years old Mm -hmm. um they recalled other circumstances knowing that my grandfather had done other bad things um I don't want to disclose anybody else's story but um it all made sense and so they they believed and affirmed my story at that point. So now you're older, you have received counseling through all of that. What did that process look like for you? Yeah, healing has been long and complex. My counselor was amazing. She did not know Jesus. And and that's significant to me because Jesus has been a significant part of my my recovery and healing and restoration. Mm -hmm. But she was an excellent counselor with deep compassion. And she gave me voice to express what had happened. 
And she helped me put in context, really, the ideas of shame and blame that what happened to me wasn't my fault, that it was good and righteous to be angry about it, how to express and verbalize anger, how to put the shame where it belongs with the perpetrators. She gave me these fabulous tools to start moving towards healing. Um, and, and I'm super, super grateful. I love her dearly and I'm profoundly grateful for those tools. However, my personal experience is that real freedom comes from encountering Christ. Amen. And as I continued to heal over the years, Holy Spirit kept bringing me back to different events when when I'd have nightmares or when something would be triggered, Jesus, just like he was in the backseat of the car with me, would whisper, look, I've got you, baby. I'm right here. And he would show me where his presence was, how he facilitated my survival in these unthinkable circumstances, yeah. how he kept me alive and protected my brain, my soul from complete devastation and how he brought me out of it to a place of redemption. And all of that worked together, not only kind of the secular tools I got from this amazing compassionate counselor, but also finding how God, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh was with me in every moment um, to bring me to a place of healing and redemption. And again, it's it's a long process. I'll, I'll tell you the truth, Althea. Sometimes I still sleep with the lights on. Yeah. I've been married to an amazing man for 27 years. And still 27 years later, I'm occasionally a touch me not. Mm-hmm. Like I'm haunted by ghosts of the past. And I cannot in that moment be, be touched or be intimate, even by this man that I love profoundly and trust immensely. Um, I still have physical scars inside and out. My, the abortion that was carried out when I was 15 resulted in really profound scar tissue so that over the course of my life and marriage, I've actually been pregnant 17 times, but had 14 losses, only carried three children to term. And I have three amazing, glorious adult children that I have amazing relationships with. Um, And I have 14, I believe, waiting for me in glory. I'm going to have such a welcome home party when I get there someday. (laughs) Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and throughout all of this for you, you have maintained your relationship with God. Talk to me how that has, how God has played such a huge role in your, your overcoming this, this horrible thing that, that happened to you. Yeah. I I appreciate your 
your evaluation that I maintained a relationship. I would say instead rather that he maintained a relationship with me in spite of me. Yeah. Um, I, I actually was invited to church and heard the gospel message when I was 14 for the first time that the message that I heard was that there is darkness, there is sin, we are steeped in sin, we need a savior, and Jesus is it. And when I heard that message, like I knew sin, I intimately, it was in the marrow of my bones. I knew I needed a savior, and I knew Jesus. I had encountered him several times up till that point. So I lifted my hand. I walked the aisle. I prayed to receive Christ. And there really was a spiritual transaction that day. I absolutely believe it. I was baptized shortly thereafter, after making a profession of faith. But Althea, my exploitation continued. And, And even the worst of my exploitation culminating, I, for me, The worst of the worst was the abortion when I was 15. And um, that was the most devastating act of violence. And and I couldn't reconcile, like, where is God in all this? I gave my life to him. Like, what the hell? Literally, I'm not being profane, but I was living in a virtual hell of exploitation and violence after having given my life to the Lord. And I just couldn't reconcile at that point in my life. I thought, okay, so either God is all good or God is all powerful. Mm-hmm. Like either he's all good and he's, he's also devastated by what's happening to me, but he's too weak to stop it. Or God is all powerful And he could stop it, but he doesn't care to. And I could not reconcile at 15, the sovereignty of God. And so in that wrestling, uh, that culminated in my senior year of working towards completing my suicide. And I, I first tried starving myself to death, started my senior year in high school around 125 pounds, five, five, five. 125 pounds. And um, by the end of my senior year, I was down to 89 pounds. So it was working. I was good at starving myself to death. I was working really hard on disappearing. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I felt betrayed by God. I had been praying since kindergarten. Like, if you're good, if you're there, the least you can let me do is die. Please let me die. Have mercy, let me die. And he didn't. And then after my failed suicide attempt and finding out that I was pregnant, I had another crisis of faith when the church that I was participating in expected that I would get up on a Sunday morning and confess my sin because I was a 17-year-old pregnant to the church and ask the church's forgiveness or leave the church. Wow. Okay. And I 
wasn't having it. Like, no, nope, this is between me and God. I'm not going to ask the church's forgiveness. I'm not going to confess in front of the church. And so the pastor asked me unceremoniously to leave. And I did. So I started my freshman year in university raging against God. Um, Some of my perpetrators had been involved in the church. My grandfather, my primary abuser was uh, an elder or a deacon in his church. Um, And then I had been rejected, I felt, by my church or judged. And so my freshman year in college, my college years, I was a rebel. I was so mad at God. And then as I healed, as I I continued to find healing, watching my son grow up, Holy Spirit kept bringing me back. I actually, I double majored in university in biology and world religion. I thought, okay, if Christianity is not it, I'm going to figure it out. (laughs) And Holy Spirit just kept bringing me back to the Bible. And I read through it. And I read through it again. And I read through it again. Working really hard to disprove the God of the Bible. And um, in all of that wrestling, I don't know, Althea, if you've ever wrestled with God, but (laughs) I've never won that wrestling match. (laughs) And what he did in his goodness and mercy was kept showing me how, in fact, he kept the promise when I was four years old. I've got you, baby. I'm here. I'm not letting go. I'm big enough for this. And the culmination of that really came when a pastor invited us, his congregation, me included, to memorize the book of Ephesians, the whole book. And I didn't get very far before God stepped in and wrecked my world and really righted what had been turned upside down when I was four. I got to Ephesians 1, 4, and it says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his own. And in that verse, it says in him before the creation of the world. Mm -hmm. That's like that's before he turned on the lights, before he separated the sky from the earth or the waters from the land. The eternal one looks through eternity and he went, Jenny Sue, that one, she's mine and she's holy and she's blameless and she's chosen. And I'm going to adopt her because she's mine. And, And if he did that before he turned on the lights, he certainly did it before I was four and I was raped for profit. He did it before I was 15 and I was devastated by the loss of my first child. He did it before I was in college when I was, oh my word, I was such a rebel. I was so hard to love at Mm. that point. And yet Jesus, he pursued, he maintained the relationship. He proved his faithfulness again and again and again. And it is in that space that I found healing and redemption. Amen. Wow. 
wow and wow. You uh, certainly use that scripture that says you have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the, the word, word of, of our testimony, testimony. One of my favorites from yes. Revelation, right? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And mm-hmm. so today, Jenny Sue, you are the founder and CEO of Compass 31. Again, it's an international non-governmental organization that provides a holistic model of restoration for survivors of exploitation. Can you give me a little bit more information about Compass 31? Yeah, so Compass 31 was founded in 2011, and, and I can say we were born breach. We were living and working in Southeast Asia, and in that space, in that time and place, exploitation was everywhere I looked. I couldn't go on a date night on Friday night without encountering men exploiting little kids, boys and girls, being sold for sex. It was everywhere I went. And my husband and I both knew that at some point, God would use my experience and my story to, um, for his glory and to expand his kingdom. But we didn't know what that would look like. And so living in Asia, I was volunteering at another organization that worked with young women who had been exploited. And I was teaching English a couple of times a week. And it was great. But it also wasn't the fullness of what God was calling me to. I mean, I just knew that it was close, but mm, not quite. And I had only been volunteering there about six weeks when I got a call from the director that they were being shut down and she had five days to find placement for her girls. So I talked to my husband and my kids and we agreed that we could provide emergency housing for four to six weeks for three mama baby sets. That is teenage girls who were pregnant or had babies as a result of their exploitation. And so 12 hours later, three mama baby sets moving into our house. And I fully intended to just be the conduit finding long-term placement for them. Instead, I found very quickly that there was not another organization anywhere in the region that would provide care to both the teenage girls and their babies. The babies could be put in orphanages and the teenage girls could go to other NGOs, but there wasn't a place that would keep them together. Mm -hmm. And that was completely unacceptable to me. Right. In the meantime, I fell in love with these girls and their babies. And in the meantime, in my own personal quiet time, I happened to be in Jeremiah 31. And our girls at that time, they came from the northern region, the border between Thailand and Myanmar, or locally what they call Burma. Um, And so they were these northern hill tribe girls. And In Jeremiah 31, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And God says in verses 8 through 10, I'm going to give you the Jenny Sue paraphrase so your your listeners can look it up. But Jeremiah 31, 8 through 10, God says, see, I will bring them from the north country, the blind, the crippled, the lame, 
Those who are pregnant and those who are in labor, they will come in with weeping, but they will go out with joy because I am their father. And in that moment, I realized Compass 31, it's God's idea. He's the daddy. He's got the plan. He's got the map. And so our name, Compass 31, comes from that idea that he hand selects the participants that are going to come live in our projects, come participate in our program. And our primary responsibility is to direct them to restoration specifically through redeeming relationship with him. And so the map is that he brings them to our care. We direct them to restorative relationship with him. That's the compass. And 31 comes from those verses in Jeremiah 31. Nice. Love it. Love it. And you are also the creator of Echoes of Eden Collective. And it's an eco-friendly skincare line. How did you yes. get into that? <laughs> you know, what a funny turn of events, right? Compass 31 has been faith-based and donation-supported since its inception. And I love that. It will always be that way because it allows anybody, you, me, the average Joe, the next-door neighbor, to participate in effective counter-trafficking work where not everybody can pick up and move to Thailand or Asia or South America, but they can have an active role in participating in our work. And again, I love that. But a lot of NGOs, Compass 31 included, faced a unique set of challenges with COVID. A lot of people faced job uncertainty, were laid off, lost their jobs, were unable to work. Um, with economic insecurity, with growing inflation, donations were reduced dramatically. Mm -hmm. And of the many things, this this is going to sound ridiculous and it's it's an audio podcast so people can't see me, but (laughs) one of the gifts that God's given me is great skin. Um, (laughs) and I get compliments on my skin all the time, despite the fact that I'm coming up on my 50th birthday. Oh, wow. And so God inspired this idea just a couple of months ago. Much of my life has been spent, spent in counter trafficking work defined by what I'm fighting against. I'm fighting against exploitation, against rape, against violence, against greed and lust, driving those things. And it's good and it's been righteous. And I love that I've invested my life in that. However, if I'm swinging my sword at the dark, all I'm seeing is the dark. And it feels like I'm trying to empty the ocean with a thimble. (laughs) It's an unending battle. And so this last year, Holy Spirit really challenged me to consider a paradigm shift of instead of what I'm fighting against, perhaps what I'm fighting for. And Jesus and I worked out that really my passion, my heart is fighting for redemption, the redemption of beauty, the redemption of innocence strong marriages, strong families, 
that build strong communities where exploitation isn't in demand. It isn't a thing. And, um, and so the concept of Echoes of Eden was born based on the idea that once upon a time, the earth was darkness and chaos and void and the spirit hovered over the darkness and the spirit called, let there be light. And there was, and it was good. And Althea still everywhere I look, I see darkness and chaos and void, but you know what? Still the spirit hovers and still the spirit calls, let there be light and it's good. And so with that collision of all of those things came the, I think, inspired idea of what if we had a U.S. manufactured, eco-friendly, vegan skincare line, luxury skincare line, where 100% of the profits go to fund our charitable work. Amazing. And, And what a fun shift. For years, people have asked, what can I do to fight trafficking? And I've had the checklist in my pocket, like pull out your phone. Here's the hotline number. Here's the red flags. Here's what you look for. Here's how you get involved. Yeah. And people nod and smile and uh-huh, that's great. And maybe they write a check for $25 or maybe they write a check for $25,000 and it's awesome. But they don't feel actively involved. Yeah. And now... People ask me all the time, what can I do to fight trafficking? And I go, well, do you wash your face? (laughs) Because I've got this really great eco-friendly vegan skincare line and 100% of our profits go to empower survivors of trafficking to lead lives of purpose and impact. Ingenious. I love it. Man, that is amazing. I love it too. (laughs) You know what, Althea? I wake up mornings now. Seriously, I wake up on a regular basis and my face is tired from smiling so much in my sleep. <laughs> like, I'm who does that? Who wakes up and their face is tired from smiling in their sleep? That's my <laughs> life now. And I'm looking at your picture and I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm going to need to get some of that because your <laughs> picture is beautiful. I, I, it's all God's grace. It is all his glory. It is totally his inspired idea. And, and I'm so grateful that he has invited me to have a front row seat to watching his redemption unfold, both through Compass 31 and Echoes of Eden. I now have a whole new platform for introducing people to, um, light breaking into the darkness. Amen. What suggestions do you have for someone that may still be struggling with sex trafficking? They may have gone through that situation or even trauma, child sexual abuse as a child. What suggestions would you have for those individuals? I would just say... I am so proud of you that you've made it this far, that you are important, that you as a survivor have unique gifts to bring to this world that nobody else on the planet ever has or ever will carry. And um, I would say that like 
trauma, it's life altering. But I don't believe it defines us. I believe it equips us for this exponential impact. And one of the things that's really been significant for me in my healing is, is to understand that when I'm when I encounter triggers, you know, whether it's hearing that song or a certain smell or the body type or shape of a certain man that walks by, whenever I'm triggered, my default has become to look at that reaction as an invitation of the Holy Spirit to healing. Like Holy Spirit is with great tenderness touching a place not yet healed. And once again, he's whispering, I've got you, baby. I'm big enough. Let's look at this. Let's heal here. Let's heal this thing. And so I would like to encourage people to know that healing is possible, that not only is it possible, but if they're open to healing in and through with Jesus, it's entirely probable. And and I understand for sure the anger that comes with feeling betrayed by God or let down by God. That's part of it. And I say, wrestle it out, dive in, feel angry, ask God, where were you? And be open to letting him show you where, where he was. I would say there are invaluable resources out there. If people want to contact me through um, the Compass 31 website, it's www.compass31.com. And there is a contact form. I can put them in touch with resources for healing. Um, but yeah, that is that healing is possible and a life of purpose and impact and glory beyond imagining is waiting for them. Amen. Do you have any upcoming projects, any other upcoming projects in the year 2022, 2023? <laughs> upcoming projects. Um, it is more of the same. My my work is expanding now. I, I have the opportunity to consult on developing projects now in Crete, in Greece, in Canada, in the U.S., I am serving, I was appointed by President Trump to serve on the U.S. Advisory Council on Human Trafficking. There, I'm using my own experience and expertise to help inform federal counter-trafficking policy. Um, I'm in the process of writing a book. Yes. That the working, the working title right now is called Redemptive Sexuality that is addressing God's design and purpose for sex and, and the glory that is available to us within the right context. And the fact that the damage that can be done through sex, we can also find healing in that space. Amen. So that, that book is a work in pro pro progress. I am definitely looking forward to reading that book <laughs> for sure. I can actually even see your life experience in a movie. Mm. Well, my I did write an autobiography. It was published in 2016. People can find it on Amazon. It is called The Lucky One. 
And my last name is Jessen, J-E-S-S-E-N. So that's available. And then also I wrote a children's book and illustrated it as well. And it's available on Amazon. It's called A Dream Takes Flight. And that's an allegory of one who has an impossible dream and she accomplishes it when she's carried by one greater. So those are are both ways that people might encounter my story and um, and perhaps encounter God in it. Amen. Jenny Sue, this has been uh, a roller coaster ride for me because you know we've we've talked off and on and you've shared um, just a snippet of oh, actually just the introduction. <laughs> that I've heard in regards to, you know, you being a human traffic survivor, but to hear, to actually hear the story, um, I just have to commend you because you are a, a true example of what a strong woman of God looks like, for sure. Thank you for that. Again, it's, it's all God's yeah. grace. Amen. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any last words for our listening audience? I think I would just like to close with saying that they each, we each individually are known by name, called by name, by the eternal one to be chosen, to be adopted, to be called holy and blameless. And, um, May it be so. May they find the healing and redemption of that in knowing that. And may they live the fullness of their glory and their purpose. Amen. Jenny Sue, thank you so much for sharing your story, being open and transparent, and just for just being here. <laughs> because I I I like I said, we've we've communicated on uh clubhouse and everything but um this is this is a blessing to me and and i really believe that this story this particular podcast is going to make a major difference in a lot of women's lives so thank you so much for being on wove inspiration absolutely i i hope people are blessed and they're they can certainly find me on social media or online Absolutely. And I will have all of her information on the show notes at the end of this show. You guys, this is Althea with Wove Inspiration Podcast. You guys have an awesome day. Take care and God bless. Hey, this is Althea, host and producer of Wove Inspiration Podcast. Wove Inspiration features women and the men who love them who use their voice to share their stories of overcoming obstacles in life. Everyone has a story, some good, some not so good. The common factors for guests on Wove Inspiration are their solutions and their victorious endings. You can follow us and leave a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under Wove Inspiration. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other platform you listen to podcasts.